Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, Sandy Max is here. So is Debbie Lazica. Bob Brainerd's in for Greg Matzik on sports. And Adam Roberts is producing the show this afternoon. And what stories are we tracking today? This is the three. At 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, what's up first? The Midwest now home to both political conventions in 2024. That's right. Uh, The RNC, of course, coming to Milwaukee July 15th. And now we learn today that the Democratic National Convention is coming to the Windy City. It will be there about a month later in the middle of August. So 90 miles will separate the two Democrat and the two political conventions this summer. Joe Biden giving the final approval today, saying that Chicago is a great choice to host the Democratic National Convention. And it will be in Chicago one month after the Republican Convention is here in Milwaukee. And I realized I was in Chicago the last time the DNC was there. In 96. Yeah. I was working in Chicago radio there. And the other thing I remember was that the convention totally took over Navy Pier at that time. Yep. And it was a year after that huge centennial Ferris wheel was installed. So it really was like this big deal and a hub of activity there. What is the second story we're tracking? A major name in the plastic storage world could soon be filing for bankruptcy. Tupperware announcing that their shares of stock have fallen 50% and they're on the brink of bankruptcy. They say they don't have enough cash to fund operations. This caught me. The company says it's exploring layoffs and reviewing its real estate portfolio. Aren't these the people that come to your living room? Right. What's a real estate portfolio? What kind of real estate do they have? And for what? Maybe, I guess, a factory where they have to manufacture the stuff. The real estate portfolio? And you talk about door-to-door. I'm going to tell you, I had not thought of Tupperware in years. And I went out for a walk last night in my neighborhood because the weather was so beautiful. And what did I walk by? A white SUV with a Tupperware wrap on it. And I truly said, wow, I haven't thought of Tupperware in years. Isn't that the extent of their real estate portfolio? That white SUV? Yeah. (laughs) What is the real estate portfolio? That's it. Um, Adam had a great comment in our, our meeting about this. Because he said, you think of no matter what it is... The plastic stuff that yeah. you put your food in, you call it Tupperware. I mean, that's like Kleenex. It. Like everybody Kleenex. calls it Kleenex. Yeah. So no matter the brand name, Tupperware will live yeah. on. All right. What's the third <laughs> thing we're tracking? Bayshore Mall's open air green space once again be a live music hub this summer. That's right. Every Friday from six to nine during the summer at Bayshore, they will have free music. It's live. It's local bands. You know, like the Eddie Butts Band, the Love Monkeys, others will be there, and it begins on June 9th, So. Check out Bayshore for live local music. This is the kind of weather today that puts you in the mood for those outdoor fests. Yeah, let's get going. It's 314 at WTMJ. CBS Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett with us live up next. Major Garrett is CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent. He hosts the Takeout Podcast and his book, his incredible book, is called The Big Truth. Major is with us this afternoon. Major, thank you so much for being here. Hey, John. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. I'm really good. You're on the road uh, a lot because of your job, because of your book. In a recent speech, you asked this question. Can you honestly remember American life politically before Donald Trump? I mean, really remember it. What was the point you were making? That for good or for ill, uh, former President Trump's role in American political life and all the things that exist around American political life, things that are cultural, things that deal with sports, things that deal with economics, that are touched by politics but don't live in the political space all the time, 
have all been pervasively influenced by his approach, and I'll be diplomatic, his approach to politics, his approach to institutions, his approach to rhetoric, his approach to power. And I was at an academic conference in Alliance, Ohio, and I just wanted to ask that question to the audience. And I got a lot of people nodding, like, it's hard to actually remember what this experience of studying politics was like and trying to understand its flow and rhythms before Donald Trump. And one other point I made is whether you like the former president or hate him, he has been an engine of Democratic turnout. Three consecutive elections, 2018, 2020, 2022, either set records for turnout or approached brand new records. So people are engaged and involved. It feels divisive. It feels sometimes traumatizing. It feels exhausting. I know that way, that I feel that way sometimes. But all of that has to do with one particular person. And it's not Barack Obama. It's not George W. Bush. It's not anyone I've covered in politics. It's Trump. And that was one of my underlying points, that he is so different and so involved in our national psyche that it's hard to remember when he wasn't there. Major Garrett with us on WTMJ. Major, I want to ask you about the current president. Joe Biden and the Mm -hmm. White House have been attacking Republicans recently for proposals that would maybe sunset bills regarding Social Security, meaning they would need to be reintroduced. They wouldn't automatically renew. Also attacking Republicans for floating the idea of raising the age for Social Security Mm -hmm. benefits. Here's my question. Joe Biden made these exact same proposals in the 70s and 80s and ran for office on them. Is that just (laughs) politics as usual? Well, yes and no. So um, it, it is true that in the 70s and 80s, lots of people, Democrats and Republicans, particularly moderate to conservative Democrats like Joe Biden, gravitated toward the idea of raising the age, eligibility for Social Security, doing things to control, quote-unquote, entitlement costs. John, when I first came to Washington in 1990, that idea of balancing budgets, reducing federal debt, And limiting spending was very much bipartisan, and it was a hugely important political issue. That has essentially not been true for 15 years. There's now a rough political consensus that you just can't talk about this anymore, and if you do, you will invite rapid and detrimental political blowback. And someone who agrees with that particular approach is the former president, Donald Trump, who we were just talking about. He criticizes any Republicans like Paul Ryan, from neighboring northern Wisconsin, who was a big advocate of this. So there's two realities in Washington. One, nobody wants to talk about it. And the other reality is Social Security and Medicare, the programs that all the people who don't want to talk about it say are so vital and must be protected, are heading toward insolvency. And if changes aren't made, they will be insolvent in the next 10 to 12 calendar years. So at some point... Courageous people, and I can't find anyone in either party right now, is going to have to agree to deal with this underlying politics, make some harder decisions, and then sell them to the public. And if you look just across the pond, as they say, to what Emmanuel Macron, the leader of France, is dealing with right now, it's not easy to do. Major, the White House 
investigating a major leak of classified information mm-hmm. that includes details, some of it unnerving, about how the U.S. spies not only on our enemies but on our friends, uh, leaked information on the war in Ukraine, including tactics. Mm-hmm. This seems like a pretty big deal. It is, and the principal investigation is being led by the FBI. The Department of Defense today announced its own separate investigation, but the lead authority is the FBI. This information, based on our reporting at CBS, does not appear to be a hack, meaning computer systems were infiltrated. This appears to be, at least based on what has been said publicly and on background, documents that were physical, meaning pieces of paper or pictures, that were in someone's possession, who had access to them legally, and then they were taken out and illegally put in places where they shouldn't be. And what I mean by that is some corners of the, of the web. And they touch a lot of different things. They touch the war in Ukraine. They touch conversations the South Koreans are have about U.S. policy. They talk about Israel. So it's not just one spe- specific place, which means it's going to be a little harder to figure out who did this. But because it's physical documents and not a hack, and then you have a list of people who had access, and then you can narrow that down. There is a confidence being expressed, at least today, among those leading the investigation, that the culprit or culprits will be found. Major, we've only got one minute. The news today mm-hmm. that Chicago will host the Democratic Convention. Yeah. Milwaukee's going to host the Republican Convention. They're 90 mm-hmm. miles apart. What does that tell you? Yep. A couple of things. Uh, one, I think Kenosha is going to be a place of importance. <laughs> for this country and for the conversation. And I mean that sincerely. It's right, roughly right in between yep. Chicago and Milwaukee. I don't need to tell listeners of your program what happened in Kenosha in 2020, the ongoing debate about what that was, what that wasn't. Was it protest? Was it rioting? Was it lawlessness? Was it vigilantism? What is the rule of law? What is our sense of equity about justice? And that place, And that time still resonates there. I believe it's going to be part of a resonant conversation between those two cities, Milwaukee and Chicago. The last time conventions were this close to one another was 1972, and they were really close. They were both in Miami. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. Great Kenosha reference, Major. You are on top of it from coast to coast and even with us in the middle. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks, John. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. New information coming out today related to that shooting in the Louisville Bank. ABC's Andy Field is with us. He's been tracking the story from the very beginning. Andy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, The shooter, of course, is identified as a 25-year-old male bank employee. He was live streaming the attack online and was killed in a police shootout. Uh, Police, as you mentioned just a a short while ago, will release the body camera camera footage. Uh, Apparently, we're supposed to do it within this hour. So uh, we'll be able to see what happened very much like the Nashville shooting uh, the other day uh, where the police body cam uh, showed the police rushing in at uh, the person who was shooting uh, in a room, ordering the person to drop the gun, put their arms down and such. That person continued to fire and the police shot and killed that shooter. Then uh, we will likely see something similar to this happening in this bank here. Uh, one of the heroic stories here is of Nicholas Wilt. Uh, he's a 26-year-old rookie police officer, we're told, ran to the gunfire and was shot in the head. He's in critical condition uh, and sedated in intensive care right now. 
Uh, he was with his trainer that day, and we're told that the trainer, after his young partner, Nicholas Wilt, uh, was shot, uh, the trainer was able to shoot and kill uh, the person who had gone into the bank and, and shot up the place. Uh, not surprising that the shooter, as in many of these mass shootings, used the AR-style a weapon. It was purchased locally and legally just six days ago. We don't know how long ago that shooter was told uh, he was fired from the uh, bank, but uh, it, it apparently appears uh, connected with the gun purchase, which again was legal, uh, and his coming in there, um, having left a note saying he was going to shoot up the bank, and sadly he did. A number more people died in Louisville. Five people died, and the gunman was killed. Hospital went through, Andy, 170 units of blood, and they're saying if it wasn't for the Red Cross and blood banks, others may have died. All these details coming out just paint the picture of tragedy on one hand, but heroic sacrifice and action on the other. Uh, yeah, and also the uh, the, the uh, doctor who's in charge of the hospital there, Dr. Jason Smith, said that he and his staff are just are, are bone-tired of gun violence, that they see it day in and day out. Uh, they said that the hospital barely had to adjust their operating room schedule. That's how frequently they're dealing with gun violence. He says he cared for victims of violence and gunshot wounds. He goes, I'm tired, but he's weary. He said there's only so many times you can walk in a room and tell someone they're not coming home tomorrow, and it just breaks your heart. University of Louisville has just an excellent reputation for their medical abilities and facilities. So I remain optimistic for that officer who's undergoing that brain surgery and, and hopefully going to recover. You mentioned the police body cam footage that is expected to be released. There were reports that the shooter live streamed this on Instagram, as horrifying as that is. I'm confident now that that has been pulled down, but that has to be part of the investigation. Do you think footage like that ever makes air to try to... You know, I don't know. I, I didn't see it on Instagram, so I'm assuming that Facebook that owns Instagram uh, pulled it down immediately. I don't know you know, in this day and age, people can record screenshots and such, so I, it may still exist out there. I have not seen. ABC's Andy Field with us with the developments today on that bank shooting in Louisville. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Saying they face a no-win situation, Cardinal Stritch University has announced that they're closing, and they're closing like now. At the end of the semester, they'll go another month. They will have a graduation ceremony. Then they say they will try to work with students who still need to transfer credits or figure out what to do. But when this news broke yesterday, it was shocking to a lot of people because they're an institution in our community, and they're going to close like now. Our friend Sherry Tussler is a graduate, and she is with us live in the studio. Sherry, thank you so much for being here with us. Glad to be here. Um, what was your reaction when your university announced that they're they're done? Shocked and saddened, really saddened. Can you tell us about Cardinal Stritch and what it's meant to your life journey? Take us inside your time at Cardinal Stritch. Sure. I um, had gone through the university system and wasn't terribly successful at it and kept like working lots of jobs in order to keep my head afloat. And I was up for a promotion at work, and they said, you don't have a degree, so you can't get promoted. And I said... Okay, I'll start it the, in the fall. And they said, no, you'll start at Stretch on Tuesday. Wow. So I started at Stretch on Tuesday, and I went there for 13 months, and um, I'm asked 56 credits to graduate, which I felt like they'd shoved me through a knot hole by the end of it. 
But still, I did not graduate. I waited eight more years to write my paper. <gasps> wow. You did that intense program. and then... I, couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. But you eventually did? I did. Because they called me and said, if you don't finish your degree, it's going to expire. And I was pregnant. And yeah. so I wrote the equivalent of a master's thesis while pregnant and <laughs> graduated. Yay. So now you're the leader of the Hunger Task Force. Such a renowned national reputation you have for leading this incredible advocacy organization. Were there lessons you learned at Stritch or work ethic things or things you took away from there that have led to your eventual success here in our community? My degree was in management. And that what they did was they taught us that we could manage people in IT. We could do communications. We could just manage almost any aspect of a workplace. And they pushed us through a lot of business problems and... We figured things out. We had to work together as teams. Um, I would say it was a really great education for an adult like me to get. I'm just stunned. And I sit here now, I look at you, and you you went to school there. And we all know it as the place in Fox Point, the place you can see the athletic fields from the interstate. But to talk to somebody who went there and it made a difference in their lives, you must have a network of people that feel the same way you do, right? That this is a place that bettered your life, bettered our community because of what it did for you and for others. Well, the cooler thing is two years ago, they gave me an honorary doctorate. And so I got to speak at the commencement ceremony just two years ago. Wow. And what I watched was the undergraduate class walk across the podium and there were so many people of color. There were so many women. I mean, it was just like an international organization. And it, I was really touched by the fact that they had reached to the point of serving so many different people. And it wasn't the traditional college experience. And a lot of those students are international students who are going to really have some hard time ahead because they were there on scholarship and they were leaving places that they won't get educated at. So I want to focus on a couple of those numbers that illustrate what you just said. Very diverse population. A quarter of the students there are black or Hispanic. A third of undergrads receive Pell Grants, which are awarded to those with the most financial need. International students, just undergrad students and athletes. It really talks, doesn't it, to what was one of the strengths of Cardinal Stritch, reaching out communities of people that otherwise would maybe not have an opportunity? Yeah. The the Christian values that they comprise, and they, they talk to you about them all the time, um, were... Really amazing, and they're they're just obviously there, shown um, by the type of students that they recruited, um, the way that they walked people through, and again, so many people of color, um, even here in Milwaukee, that have graduated. If you look at Facebook, you know, and you see somebody like James Cause, he got his MBA there, and it's like he went there because he felt comfortable. And I have to imagine that your phone started buzzing with fellow alumni that uh, you're still connected to. What? Has everybody been equally stunned? Have there been other reactions? Yeah, it's just people are like going, wow, how could we have helped? What could we have done to make a difference? And so for some of us, it's not just sadness, but a level of guilt. Like, what should I have done different or better to support the institution that gave me so much opportunity? What do you think happened the last few years? I mean, the numbers are a third of their enrollment went away and didn't come back. And as other schools brought their enrollment back, even schools of similar size like Carroll and others, that did not happen. That couldn't happen at Cardinal Stritch. That's really hard for me to say because when I went there, they didn't even have dorms, okay? It was all commuter. Um, but there are dorms there now, and there was student life there, and it was important. And I wish, I guess, that they had reached out 
to all the alumni and told us. I think that somehow or other we might have been able to put something together to help them financially or to recruit additional students. Um, it's such a well-renowned institution. I'm just disappointed. You know, you raise such an interesting point because Mary Kellner from the Kellner family is also a graduate, and her family just a couple of years ago gave $2.5 million because they needed it, and she believes in the school. And this time, they kind of quietly just decided, the sisters did, and then the Board of Regents, to close the doors without really saying anything to anybody. Did you have any inkling that they were in this sort of trouble? No. Mary Kellner was at my graduation ceremony. She hooded me. Um, she's a lovely person, and I, you know, I was thankful to her gift or for her gift at the time. But I just nobody had any idea. Not only does this affect the students who are in attendance now, uh, but it also affects the employees there. Oh yeah, my daughter called me because her best friend's mom is a professor there. That was how I first heard. Interesting. Yeah, lots lots of people are losing their jobs as well. You know, and some of those folk have been there for a really, really long time. And if all the universities are facing these kinds of challenges post-pandemic, do those professors have a place to go to teach? Right. And those small uh, university environments, uh, especially liberal arts folk, it's such a basic education. It's so important. And not everybody fits in at such a giant university like Madison. Some students thrive in small settings. And so they have a role and they're important. Yeah, they do. I, I'm just, I, I, it's just a sad day. I guess sad is the word that I keep coming back to. I had a buddy who went there and played baseball. We heard from people in the last couple of days who play sports there. One that came there for the music program who now can't get into another program without auditioning a year from now. It's just so sudden and so sad for our community. Yeah, the terrible disruption. I think that the students that are there now are going to experience. I mean, as an alum, I can say I'm sad, but I still have my transcript. I still know I graduated. I've got my certificates. It's all there. What happens to that young person? And, you know, both of my daughters are recent college graduates, and I know what a struggle it is. I can't imagine how those students are feeling right now. What's the one memory you'll take away from your time at Cardinal Stritch? It was the hardest damn thing I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it. I did my laundry, and I slept, and I went to Cardinal Stritch. <laughs> Sherry Tussler is the executive director of the Hugger Task Force. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Sherry. We do appreciate it. You bet.